get underway. Have you ever been taken for granted? Have you ever taken other things for granted? Why is it we do that? I was just thinking about that this morning. Why is it we take things for granted or take people for granted if you're married and you've been married for longer than, say, five years? It is easy to take your spouse for granted. There's children. It's easy to take your parents for granted. And, and I'm thinking even at work, you take your boss, the fact that you get paid or the fact that you do good work for your boss and feel like you're being taken advantage of by your boss because you do so much hard work and don't get the proper rec- uh, compensation for the work that you do. Why is it that we take people for granted? We can say that it's because it's our sinful nature, which can be true. But I, I find we also do this spiritually as well. Uh, we take God for granted. We take what he has done. We take what he does for us now. We take what he is going to do for us in the future. We take that for granted as well. We take for granted our brothers and sisters within this church. We take for granted all the hard work that, say, our aunties and uncles do, not only doing the food, which is amazing, but but even just the influence and input that they can have into our lives. We take the young people for granted and the fact that they're young and think, oh, They'll always be around. That may not necessarily be true, but we take things for granted and we find it easy to do so. And so I'm thinking about that a lot, and I think, well, it's important for us then to be reminded continually of the richness that we have, not only as Christians that have been made new in the person of Jesus Christ, but also the gifts that he has bestowed upon us in each other. We take these things for granted. And I see this as we looked over the past three weeks. We had Pastor Brett come along last week. And and one of the things that stuck out to me is he talked about the personification of power is summed up. Sorry, God being the personification of power is summed up in the word father. And I really like that. The personification or the identification of power is summed up in that word father. And that means a lot, because when you think about how powerful God is, he is the creator of heaven and earth, and he's our father. He is the God who has worked the greatest of works in giving us his son and taking us out of darkness and bringing us into light, and we get to call him father. He has bestowed upon us the amazing gifts of eternal life and spiritual gifts in which we are ordered to, in order to minister to other people, and yet we get to call him Father, I think that that in itself gives us an identity because if he is our father, what does that make us? His child, his son, and his daughter. And we in turn take that for granted, don't we? And, and to think that that same father has given us, as Martin shared two weeks ago, his word. He has given us his word whereby our faith grows, according to Romans Chapter 10, verse 17. He has, given us, he has given us his word that we can stand upon the promises like Joshua did. And, and he is told in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, that he is to abide by the law in which my servant Moses commanded you. And if he abides by that law, what happened? He is able to claim the land and the promises and the inheritance that had been committed to him. It is that word we are told that has the power to divide the soul and the spirit and and the bones and the marrow. It's able to discern the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, according to Hebrews 
chapter 4, verse 12. And, and even in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, I believe, it, it says that it is the sword of the Spirit is the means by which we are able to claim that which he has given us, which means in week one. So we had our Father last week. We had our Father who has given us his word the week before. In order to, in the very first week of this year, in order to fulfill the call that he has placed on our lives. You see, the call always remains the same. I, wanna, I really want to emphasize this to you, okay? The call always remains the same. The specifics may be different. How Julie serves will be different to how I serve. How Sue Laxton serves will be different to how Julie serves. But while the context may be different, it might be grandparent, it might be parent, it might be child, it might be worker, it might be student, it might be employee, it might be employer. But while the specifics may be different, the overall call was the same. For Joshua, it was to claim the land. And while the specifics were different, what was the joy that Joshua was able to take away from that was to stand on the word, which never fails, and always remained the same for him, because that was imparted to him by a father who loves him. And those three things apply to us now. And so I was thinking, well, what then is the next step? What then... Was, where, where do we go from here? It's, it's easy to know these things, but we're still in the beginning of the year. We're in the final Sunday of 2019. And it's great to be filled with knowledge, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to Jono and the PTC and, and, and imparting to us this wonderful reality of God's truth. And, but unless that truth affects here, so it goes beyond here and affects here, which then affects everything else, well, then it's, it's ineffective. It hasn't accomplished that which God desires in each of our lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to look in Joshua once again. I know I've been spending a little bit of time there, but we're going to look in Joshua once again. But this is slightly different context. It's not the beginning of Joshua's campaign in regards to moving into a new land. Rather, it's the end of their campaign, and Joshua has now approached the end of his life. And I'm going to ask my sister, Caris to come up, and she's going to read from Joshua 23. I will not have that up there because I want us to be able to look at our Bibles. So if you turn to your Bible, in your Bibles and go to Joshua chapter 23, verses 2 to 14. That is our reading for this morning. Thanks. So Joshua chapter 23, you turn with me. We're starting from verse 2. So Joshua 23, verse 2. Joshua summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land, as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. 
but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Verse 9. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I am about to go, to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the, all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Thank you. If you just want to join me in prayer, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples that are set before us. And we thank you for this passage in Joshua. And I pray as we look at this this morning, you will speak to us individually. You will speak to us corporately as a church. Father, that you will speak to us. We pray that we will have attentive ears to your, to your voice. That we will be heeding what your spirit says to us through the scriptures this morning. And I pray, Father, that we will truly leave here different people, that we will be taught by you. And more importantly, Lord, that it will not just be information, but that will affect our hearts. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What I find really interesting is in this passage is the fact that they haven't completely taken the land, but they've done a lot. They have done a lot. They've been through a lot. And now at this particular point that Joshua is old, he is able to communicate to the children of Israel and, and basically do what Moses had done for them at the end of Deuteronomy. And that was to exhort them, to, to share with them, to, to get them focused. See, this is what I want to talk about this morning. Like, there are three things that I could easily talk about from this passage. And, and these three things are that you have a, a focused vision, a clear direction, and a sure step. But I'm going to focus on just one of these today because I think this one actually influences the other two. And that is that of having a focused vision. The ability of having a focused vision. And you know people who are focused. And, and I wanted to look at this today because it's the value of a focused vision. What benefits us as the people of God? See, the importance of having our vision focused is like what it talks about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. It's, I always share this verse because it's one of my favorite verses. It was the verse I was given when I was baptized when it talks about the light of the body being the eye. If your eye is single, then your whole body will be full of light. That's what happens. If your eye is full of darkness, then how great will that darkness be? That it talks about in verse 23. That our direction is clear. Philippians 3.14 talks about us pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and that our next step is sure. 
to be sure-footed in the journey that we have. And, and you look at this in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. It actually refers when Habakkuk prays and he says, please give me feet that are like hinds feet. If you've ever seen goats climbing mountain goats climbing mountains, they are on ledges, but they are sure in their stepping. They know where they're going. They know how they're getting there. And irrespective of what it looks like, they are sure-footed in every step that they take. But that's the reason why I want us to focus on this first one, that of a focused vision. If you look at verse 2, it says, Joshua summoned all Israel's elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them. Now, bear in mind, I don't think this is telling of Joshua as a failure, uh, even though the mission had not been completely fulfilled yet, but he has seen things. Joshua has seen things that the other people have not fully experienced. Joshua got to share in an intimacy with God that his predecessor Moses actually experienced. The people were able to witness Joshua be appointed by God. They even said in Joshua chapter 1, As the Lord was with Moses, so he shall be with you. And they were willing to hear him. Why? Because of the authority God had given him. Now in verses 2 and 3, we read this. I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Vision is important within the scriptures. Not to belittle or discard those who cannot see, or if you've got bad eyesight, or if you're blind. But the ability to see is referring to the ability to recognize the reality of God at work. That the reality of life is actually spiritual not physical. We are told this in in Ephesians chapter 6, that we wrestle what? Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers and authorities of this dark world. That's what the reality is. This here around us, the physical nature around us, this is preceded by the spiritual nature. For example, and I really like the way Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, puts this in a sermon called The Key to Spiritual Victory. It's on his podcast, which I think is really quite interesting. But he actually says this, the spiritual precedes the physical. It comes before the physical, controls the physical, influences the physical, and even creates the physical. Because before there was a physical heaven and earth, it said, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1. Before there was the creation of man, it said God made man. The spiritual brought the physical into being. The Bible itself is a spiritual book, and it gives us an insight into the spiritual realm. If we merely concern ourselves with the physical, what happens to this book is this book ends up becoming a list of, or a checklist of do's and don'ts. We have the wrong focus of it. We look at this book as being a list of things. It's like a supermarket list. That's what this book becomes if we fail to see this book as a spiritual book, developing our spiritual character, transforming us to be more like Jesus. Why? Because this physical eventually, what? Will perish. This will pass away. And what is left is that which God truly intended for us, to experience him in the fullness of life as spiritual beings. 
Thus, the importance with us is to have a vision refocused by being able to see God and not just the occurrences of chance. You know, you, what, what's one of the, that all things, Romans 8.28, we all say this, Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good to those that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. We know that reality. We, well, okay, no, we know that verse but we find it very difficult to identify the reality that even though all things work together for good, yes, we fail to see that. Why? Because we have basically encapsulated ourselves within this physical cocoon thinking that there is nothing else taking place beyond that when it's actually completely different. See, we need the ability to see God, the capacity to see God moving, The capacity to see God as you remember him in the past. Remember, I didn't talk in the very, at the end of last year about looking back. It was all about remembering, remembering what God has done, remembering how God has worked, remembering the way God moves, remembering for the purpose of influencing you now and in your future conduct. That's what it was all about regarding remembering to see the word transform a person's life moment by moment as they are a new day by day, to see the Spirit working and convicting of sin in our lives. The importance of seeing for us brings us this challenge. What do we see? What do we see? What do we look for? For what we see and what we look for will often dictate how we, we, we conduct ourselves. And you look at this in the scriptures. The entire book of Esther that never once mentions the name God. And yet, you see God's fingerprints all throughout that passage. You see God working in Esther's life and bringing her into rule. You see God working in Mordecai's life and, 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 and thwarting. Haman's plans. You see God continually moving time after time, way after way. You see this in the book of Esther, and yet, if he is the same God for Esther that he is now for you, what do we see? Or what are we looking for? What are we looking for? You see this in the scriptures. Paul speaks of the supernatural vision that have been imparted to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. And I've shared this over and over again. If it says that our physical senses, if in chapter 2, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 10, says that no eye has seen. So no physical eye has been able to see. No ear has heard. No physical ear has been able to hear. Neither has entered into the heart of man. So no physical emotion has able to be interacted with. So if no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10 says, but God has revealed these things to us by his spirit. So what that means is this. Yes, we have access to these things through the spirit of God. Why? Because we're spiritual beings. Our spiritual senses have now been alivened and awakened through the spirit of God to recognize those things and to see God. To see what he's doing. You look that same at that same supernatural sight that was given to John in the book of Revelation. The spiritual senses were opened and he was able to see the visions in which God then said to him, what you see, you write down in this book. 
And that, see, that, that's the importance of sight. Having a focused vision benefits us. It results in us being benefit, benefited in so many ways. Whether it be like Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 11, who he gets told when appointed, he says, I will give you the words, and you go forth and you speak these words. He goes, what do you see? That's what he says to him. What do you see? And he goes, I see this. And he correctly interprets what God has revealed to him. And and that's what we have been given in the person of Christ. So it is in this context. In this context here, we are told, okay, he gathers everybody together and he starts off, and you have seen. That's what he says to the people of Israel. That's what he says to the elders and the judges and the officials. Everybody that's in leadership, everybody that is there, he says, and you have seen. And the NIV, it actually says, you yourselves have seen. I really like the way the NIV puts it. You yourselves have seen. It is the personal nature that everybody is held accountable. That everybody cannot excuse themselves of being ignorant. Everybody is there, and Joshua has, if you are the people of Israel and I am Joshua, I'm saying, you've seen this. You yourselves have seen. He's he's not saying anything new. Remember, this is the end of his campaign. This is the end of his life. He goes, you have seen what God has done. You have experienced what God has done. You have been involved with what God has done. And what is it that they were supposed to have seen? All that the Lord your God has done. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done. He's done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He goes, you have seen what you have seen. Have you seen some amazing victories that they've accomplished through their own strength? No. Have you seen some of the amazing things that that Joshua did as a leader? No. Have you seen what some of the people have done as armies? No. They had seen what the Lord their God had done for them. That's what, and this is significant in the moving of Israel. They had seen the appointment of Joshua and the confirmation that he was God's chosen man. They had seen that in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 16. They had seen the parting of the River Jordan when the priests and, 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 and the Ark of the Covenant went before the people and they stood in the Jordan and the river parted, the River Jordan parted and they walked over dryly. They had seen that in Joshua chapter 3. They had seen a bunch of musos walk around the city, yell, and the city is destroyed. In Joshua chapter 6, they had seen that. They had seen their own failure when Achan in Joshua chapter 7 steals something and then they get smoted, smoted. They get smoted by a small city because of sin that affected them. And they saw what happened when sin entered the camp. They had seen that and how serious sin was that resulted in the death of Achan and all his family and all his animals and all his belongings and everything because of the seriousness of sin. They had seen it and then they had seen how they dealt with sin, how God dealt with sin. 
and how God was able to single out and what, four or five million people, they saw how God was able to identify one person. They had seen that. They had seen in Joshua chapter 10, God stopped the sun for a day. They had seen that. They had seen in Joshua chapter 9, the deception. They had seen the failures of their leaders when they let the Gibeonites take in residence. It's something that would affect them later on. But they had seen it. They had seen and experienced the greatness of God's victories. They had seen and experienced the failures of human sin. They had seen and experienced the greatness of God's reconciliation. And that's why he said to them, you have seen. You have seen this. Now he's saying to them, because you have seen this. This is what Joshua is saying to the people. Because you have seen this. Where do you go from here? Because you have seen this, what are you going to do? And this is the challenge that is laid before it because this is how Joshua refocuses the people. This is how our vision is refocused. If you have seen this and what God is capable of, If you have seen this and the holiness of God's greatness and the holiness of God's character, if you have seen this, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Because they still got a lot more to do. When Joshua moves on, they still have more of the land to claim. But he wants them to have a clear vision, and he does this by reminding them, you have this land not because of your ability, but because of what your God has done for you on your behalf. And you see this all throughout the chapter. I think I've listed it. Oh, I've already listed that one. Verse 5. I'm going to read the actual verses I've just put. But he reminds them in these verses throughout chapter, one, uh, chapter 23 that it is God who has done this. In verse 5, I'll read the verse. I've just left a little bit there for you. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. You see the focus there? Who is it? It's got nothing to do with the people. It's everything about God. In verse 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. Verse 10, one man of you puts to flight a thousand since. It is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Verse 13, Exhortation, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. This is if they sin, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So even then he sits there and says, if you don't, if you don't separate yourself from sin, if you don't separate yourself from these things, this is what we have. And why? Because this is what God has given you. This is what God, you didn't earn it. You weren't deserving of it. But this is what God has given it. And you will suffer if you decide to do things your way. Verse 15, just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you. Let me read that again. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given 
you. Verse 16, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given. See, the focus of their vision of what Joshua was communicating here was not on their ability, was not on their action, was not on their effort. Their focus was to be centered upon their God as Father, their God who has given him their word, their God who has been there and fought alongside them and pushed their enemies along. That's what the focus of their vision was to be. What was their part? Their part was to trust and respond accordingly to what he instructed them. You see, this refocused vision was to give them a clear direction. That's what I think. This refocused vision would enable them to have a sure step. Now, in verse 11, this is what I think, when I think about the clear vision, this is where it gets back to the basics and and the necessity of their relationship with God. He says, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. This is what a clear direction is. When you have a refocused vision, not even just a refocused vision, if you have a focused vision, then you know where you're going. And when when I say you have a clear direction, what I mean by it doesn't mean you have an easy path. It doesn't mean everything's going to go sweet. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out for you. What it does mean is that I'm going there. I know there's where I need to get. Therefore, irrespective of what I encounter, I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to keep going. Why? Because what you're looking for is not what's directly in front of you, but what is to come. And, and I think this is where we, we trip up as Christians. I, okay, please forgive me if I have identified you in this statement, but this is where I trip up as a Christian, is that because of everything, if I have a focused vision and know where I'm going, and if I lose sight of that, if you want to sort of reference back to the first week I spoke about this, it's the reference of what is my greater call? What is my greater call? What am I looking for? And the reality is this, the reason why it says be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God is because we can take for granted the relationship we share with our God. And because we take that for granted, we take what we do and think that what I'm doing, what I'm doing is like earning points with him. I'm going to be sharing this when we're looking at it, but I was looking at it in the book of James as we've been going through James in our devotions as a church. There's a point where he sits there and he says, but we, we live, I'll share the actual verse, but we, we live in a society of checks and balances. That's what we do. And we, because we live in a society of checks and balances, that if Sue Ann does something to me, then I'll pay her back. If she gives me something good, I'll give her something good. If she gives me something bad, I'll give her something worse. That's, that's, how, that's how we sort of act, isn't it? We live in a, a whole idea of checks and balances, and we use the same mentality with God, don't we? We use the same mentality with God, and we think we can mark off and pay back what God has done for us by our good deeds. I went to church and preached today, Lord. Check. That makes me look good. No, it doesn't. This is my privilege I get to do. 
This is, this is the payment in and of itself. I get to share with you God's word. I get to spend time in the word and prayer. And, and because of this, this is why he says to them, be careful. This is what gives us our clear direction that what we do is why? Because of our love for the Lord our God. That's why. John 1, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says what? That we love him because he first loved us. I wasn't deserving of that love. I wasn't deserving of that grace, but because he gave it to me. That's why, that's why he says, you've got to be careful. You have to be careful to love the Lord your God. You know how you, know how you can sit down and, and really appreciate what somebody's done for you? Like, for example, for example this, is what, this is what we do. We love on people when they love on us. We love on people when they love on us. And it's really easy to do. And sometimes when the people we love don't love us back the same sort of way, well, we demonize them, don't we? And we can forget everything that they've done for us. We can forget every time that they've come alongside us, every time they provided a meal, every time they've called us and said, hey, how can I pray for you? Every time that they've done something good, they do a couple of things wrong for us, and then what do we do? Oh, man, I hate Joe. Oh, Joe, I don't like Joe at all. Okay. That, that's, what we, that's what we do, don't we? Because we have this whole checks and balances mentality. What I am so thankful for, that in the person of Jesus Christ, God loves on us. Even we don't love on him back. You want to know how you love on people? As you have seen the things that the God has done for you. To look at those things and think, wow, and this is what gives us our clear direction. Because once we, once we have a focused vision and our clear direction of which way we're going, then it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how someone discourages you. It doesn't matter. That's where I'm going. It doesn't matter if somebody upsets you. You know what? Because that's where I'm going. It doesn't matter when people sit down and try to stop you or oppose you. Because that's where I'm going. I have my focused vision and I have my clear direction. And sometimes when you want to get somewhere, it doesn't actually, like, for example, dieting. Dieting sucks. I hate dieting. Okay? But we look at the, the overall benefits, don't we? Look at the overall benefits and think, okay, I'm going to eat cardboard for the next three months and drink water. Like, and you put yourself through this for the purpose of attaining a goal. So you have a focused vision. I'm aiming for 100 kilos. I mean, that's me, not, not you. <laughs> I'm, I'm aiming to lose weight and get 100 kilos. That's what I'm aiming for. And I'll eat the rubbish that I have to eat. I'll exercise terribly the way I need to exercise so I can reach that goal. And you put up with it, don't you? And then once you're there, you're like, yes. And then a week later, you're back to 120 kilos. But did you see what I mean? This, you put up with study because you see the greater goal. You have a clear vision, you have a clear direction, you have a focused vision and a clear direction, and you will go that way. Jono runs marathons, one of the silliest things I have ever heard. <laughs> but I love the man. But he, he runs, he runs, get this, him, Carla, Uncle Mike, run for fun. <laughs> I know Uncle James, Uncle James is like this. Huh? Exactly! But now he says to me that he runs and he enjoys. He went on a trip to the U.S. and he ran a marathon. How stupid. <laughs> Go on a holiday. Go on a holiday. I have on a holiday. But he, he, I'm sorry, I'm making fun of you, bro. I love you heaps, say. But you know what I mean? 
When you have a clear, when you have a focused, a, a focused vision, then you have a clear direction and you'll do what you need to. But here's the next thing. This is what he establishes for the people of Israel. Here's the next thing, though. Not only do you have, but you have a sure step. You have a sure step. You know. Once again, it doesn't say you'll have a smooth path. It doesn't say you'll have a smooth path. It says that you'll have a sure step. And so in this verse, 23 verse 14, see, I'm now about to go the way of all the earth and to know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised you, concerning you, sorry. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. This is what gives us our sure step, that our God is faithful to his word. No, that our God is faithful to his people, that our God is faithful to us. That he is there, and though sometimes things may not work out the way we would expect them, or how we would even want them to, know this, that our sure step is one, firstly, on a steadfast rock. That's what gives us our sure step. That we will have our feet like hind's feet to walk on those shaky edges, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and each step would be sure because it is based upon one, our God And who he is? Who is he? He's our Father. Our God. And what he does, what does he do? He gives us his word. Our Father. And what does he do? He gives us our purpose. And if we have those, if we have those, if we have this focused vision, then that's how that benefits us. It benefits us because, one, because it's on his word, it's not on my opinion. It's not my, on my authority. It's, it's on his. That, that, that's why my steps can be sure. That, that, that I have a clear direction because it's focused on the relationship I share with him. As, as my God, as my Savior, and as my friend. And because I have that relationship with him, I'm comforted. And that's why I'm reminded to love him. And not to, not to reverse it, not to reverse it, not to think that my acts reflect my love, but rather my, my, my acts stem from my love for him. And, 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 and firstly, that it all starts with looking at the right thing, uh, to, to have the right vision. I, I shared this story with Andrew, and, and I want to I share it with you. I want to share this with you. This book here, D.L. Moody, it's on Google Books for $2.00. Great book, A Life for Christ. And in this book, I came across this story. I heard about a man who returned from living in India. While out at dinner with some friends one day, he was asked about missions. He said he'd never seen a native convert in all the time he was in India. A missionary sitting at the table with him didn't reply directly to the statement, but quickly asked a skeptical Englishman if he had seen any tigers in India. The man rubbed his hands as the recollection gave him a good deal of pleasure. He said, tigers? Yes, I did. I've shot a good many of them. The missionary said, well, I was in India for a number of years and never saw a tiger. The fact was that one had been looking for converts and the other for tigers, and they both found what they were looking for. The reason I share that with you is that sometimes our vision is not focused and we end up looking for other things. We look for our tigers. We look for the things that will give us security. We look for the things that will give us comfort. We, we, look we look for the things that might enhance our possessions, that we may have a bigger house or a greater car. We might have a better position with our, our firm. And look, there's nothing wrong with those things. 
But more often than not, we are looking for tigers as opposed to having a clear, focused vision of looking for the purpose that God has given us, of looking for the God who has given us that purpose. I'll give you a classic point where I failed at this immensely. I was at the doctor's the other day, and there was a heap of people. It was really, really busy. And I was sitting there, and this biker walks in. Biker walks in. He sits down a couple of seats from me. We're waiting. We had to wait an hour and 20, hour and 10 minutes. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, man. So I go up, and I say, excuse me, how much longer before my daughter has seen? And he goes, oh, you still got maybe about 20 minutes to half an hour. I went, oh, wonderful. So I sat back down, and the biker guy looks at me, and he smiles at me, which is pretty scary. But he looks at me and smiles. I looked at him and smiled, which is probably just as scary for him. <laughs> but I looked at him and smiled, and I just started chatting. He says, bro, we've got a long wait, man. And he goes, really? And he starts swearing away and stuff and things. Found that his name is Cisco. His name is Cisco. He lives out at Quakers Hill. And we just sat down and started having a chat. I was having, bro, I know Cisco. Say Cisco's your name. What's your real name, man? Because, like, as a biker, Cisco, come on, man. How many people are named Cisco, Really? He goes, my real name's Chris. I'm like, okay, sweet, bro, sweet. I'm, I'm Joe, nice to meet you. And we just started chatting away, chatting away, chatting for about 10 or so minutes with this guy, Cisco. Then Emily's name was called up, and I went to go see. As soon as I walked away, because I found out about Cisco's story, Cisco had a heart attack on Christmas Day. He had a heart attack on Christmas Day. And as a heart attack victim, he sat down and says, bro, what happened? When did you get a... Well, I had a heart attack Christmas Day. Then I went to hospital on Boxing Day. I says, how'd that work? I says, oh, I went, to, I, went to a, I went for a workout on 24th, and I thought I hurt my chest. So I spent the whole day, Christmas Day, thinking I just had muscular pain. And he had a heart attack all of Christmas Day, just walking around. And then he went on Boxing Day, and the doctor actually says to him, bro, you need to go to hospital. I mean, you should be dead right now. And he's like, really, what's happening? You're having a heart attack right now. And he's like, oh, so they got an ambulance sent him there. And I'm like, bro, you, that's stupid, man. Like, how, how on earth... Right then, right then was the opportunity to raise what? His mortality. Because I asked how old he was. He was 44. He looked like 60. But he was 44. And he told me he had a heart attack on Christmas Day, and I did not look for the convert. I did not take the opportunity to raise with him the fact that he could have died that day and spent a crisis eternally separated from God. You know what I was looking for? Tigers. I was looking to be accepted by this biker who could probably beat me up. I was looking for and wasted an opportunity to communicate a life-changing truth that could have affected his life and prepared him for eternity. That's why I was challenged. What am I looking for? What are you looking for in church? Are you looking for something to make you feel good? Are you looking for something, you know, to, 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 to sit there and improve your esteem? What are you looking for? Because if it falls outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it falls outside who God is, then that's a tiger. And that's the challenge that we are left with here. That as we move into the future this year, and I'm not, I'm not discounting, and I'm discounting. I mean, you may be hurt, and somebody in church may have hurt you. I may have hurt you. Uh, you have been failed, and somebody in church might have failed, and I may have failed you. All of these things might have taken place. And, and, and this then, 
is the important fact for us to, like the people of Israel, and Joshua exhorts them to do this, that you have seen the things that God has done. That's what it is. See, I look around, and I'm going to close now. I look around, and I see what God has done in each of your lives. I look around, and if you look at your own life about how you became a Christian, how you have seen how God, in his love for you, sent his son to live a perfect life, to to die a brutal death, to rise again the third day, to take upon himself your offense, your guilt, your sin, your condemnation, and take upon that himself so that you might have life. He took upon, you look at that, you have seen that. You have seen people live out the love of Jesus Christ to you and provide in some way, whether it be in prayer, whether it be in gifts, whether it be in coming alongside and fellowship. You have seen those things. You have seen how God has provided this building. You have seen how God has provided what you have in your hands right now. You have seen the fact that God has given you over and over and over again a peace that passes all understanding. You have seen the gifts that God has bestowed upon other people as well as upon you. You have seen miracle after miracle of life that has been changed by the grace of God. You have seen all of those things. The question is now, what will you do with what you have seen? Where do you go with what you have seen? Because if what you have seen does nothing to affect you now so that you might change your conduct as you move into the future, then all that is for you is entertainment. All that is for you is something that makes you feel good. All that means for you is that you and I are looking for tigers. The focus of this truth is in verse 3. That we have seen all that the Lord, our God, has done to all these nations for our sake. For it is the Lord, our God, who has fought for us. I pray that this might be the beginning of a revival of my heart. Of a revival of our hearts. That we will not be about looking for tigers but looking for converts, looking to fulfill the purpose that God has left us here. So I'm not going to ask the people to come in the music team. I will ask the prayer team to come up, please. If the prayer team could come up, we're just going to close in prayer. But if you would like to, for want of a better word, if you would like to repent, if you would like to have your hearts awakened and revived, if you would like to see this reality, to, to, to move on from where you are now, not to be governed and ruled by what's taken place in the past, but to, to press on in the way that God has called you to, then I would love for you guys to come up the front and to pray for you guys. Because that's where it starts. That we might be people who see See what God is doing. See how God is doing it and be a part of what he's doing. Thank you, brother. So if you'd like to be upstanding, I'm going to pray. And at any time, even while I pray, if you want to walk forward, come on up. Come on up. Just come up and we'll pray for you. And then we'll just see what God will do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word through Joshua. 
We thank you for the things that we have seen in our past, seen the things that you have done for us, to see how you fight for us, to see that you love upon us, to see everything that you have given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we as your people will not be content in just going through the motions. We will not be content in just existing as your children, but rather we might have a clear, focused vision of your call that you have placed on each of our hearts. That even though our specifics may differ, the call remains the same that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that we are to make disciples of all nations, that we are to, to be proclaimers of your truth. Father, may you give us a vision, a focused vision, a clear direction and a sure step, irrespective of the obstacles we face. We ask for you to move within our hearts. Father, I pray that we will not be disobedient children but rather we will submit to your heart's desire for us. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever, even unto the end of the age. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.